The scripture reading today from God's holy word is John's second letter. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment but the one we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. Thank you, Richard. Uh, thank you for reading the scripture for us this morning, and I welcome you and your wife Sandra and their family. I know you've been here for a few months, but it's good to have you here. Thank you, Tiffany, for sharing. I love that analogy of the rock and looking under the rock and seeing if there are some distractions there. That's a good call for us during these days of Lent. Well, Second John, it's not many times we can read the whole book or the whole letter and get up front and read it. Richard then read the whole letter of Second John. I want to tell you that I enjoyed meeting with the pastor of Kelmar uh, Community Church last week. Uh, this is a new church plant that uh, we're supporting as a uh, congregation. Um, and uh, they are about 50 people or so. Uh, first time the church has had a full-time pastor. And it's our joy and, and uh, privilege to come alongside of them and to support them. Small amount of money that we give to them each year. But combined with others, uh, it makes a difference. And their pastor is Keith Froze. And it was just a pleasure to meet him a couple of weeks ago and rehearse some of the steps that we've gone through as a church uh, with the hope that our journey might be, might be helpful to them as well. You know, one of the common concerns that we have uh, in uh, the whole area of church planting is just the whole issue of balance, especially 
with respect to time. And where do I spend my time? Because there are so many good things to do. Uh, and, uh, but where do I put the emphasis so that the church effectively moves forward? And that's exactly the prayer request of Keith. He's a very fine servant of God, and I hope you will find uh, time during this Lent season uh, to, to pray for Keith and this young church uh, as he seeks to find balance uh, in his ministry. And you and I face that every day, balance. How do I stay balanced in life? And I wonder, do we ever conquer this? Uh, finding balance, my job, my home, my friends, my family, my time with Jesus, uh, my physical health, my time to renew and rebuild. Melanie Lee, she wrote a wonderful little paragraph on balance this week and sent it to me. How timely. And she framed it around the, the word picture of Walking a tightrope. And is that ever a challenge to walk a tightrope and to keep everything in balance? And that's what we have to do in life. But then she posed the question of perhaps we need to think of another word instead of balance. And maybe it's the word wisdom. Or maybe it's the word discernment to know how to effectively walk in this life and to keep everything kind of balanced. Well, I give you that preface to introduce us to Second John. I mean, it seems logical to move to Second John after weeks, months in First John. It's like going to a distant city on a business trip or a personal trip and spending time there with friends and relatives and kind of saying, well, I was in the area, so I couldn't help but stop in and say hello well, we've been in the area of Second uh, John for a long time. We've been camped over in First John, right next door. Same author, same issues, same context. So let's drop in and visit Second John. And what you find when you come to Second John is the word balance, although the word is never really mentioned. Well, let's open this one pager, one pager. That's all it is, eight and a half by 11 sheet of papyrus, uh, a one-pager, about 245 words. John maybe thought price of stamps are going up. I'm going to put this all in one sheet. So this is the shortest letter, or is it Third John the shortest letter? Third John, you got the shortest letter next week. All right. I'm very close there, about five words different. Under 300 words, both Second and Third John. So first of all, catching the context. Catching the context. I find it quite intriguing that although the letter is extremely short, it is probably the least read. When have you last read Second John or Third John? Uh, is it just me, or do we tend to move past these two little letters? Uh, in our day and age, we, we generally say, just give it to me in summary form. I don't want it all. I just text it to me. And, and I just need the summary. And yet here's a couple of short letters in summary form, but yet they don't tend to get read as often as they might. The letter is from John, same writer as uh, 1 John. 
Doesn't seem to be any question about that in terms of style or content. He refers to himself as John the Elder. We've come to appreciate Grandpa John over these past weeks of studying 1 John. He's probably 90, 100 years old. <laughs> really? Do you, don't you hope you're functioning as well as John when you get to be that age, to be as with it as the Apostle John? He was one of the inner circle of three that, talked with, that walked with Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John. Then he wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And as if that wasn't enough, he was banished to a little Aegean island called Patmos. And the Roman government used that island as a place of banishment. And prisoners were compelled to work the mines of the island. I can't imagine that John was forced to work the mines at that grand old age of 100 that he was working there physically. But John could have said, I'll just call this my Hawaii island. Respite at the end of the journey. I'll just curl up and go to sleep. It's all behind me now. No, he wrote one more book on the Isle of Patmos, the most challenging book in the Bible, the revelation that, God, that Jesus gave to him, the Bible, the, the, the revelation, St. John. And, you know, won't we look forward to meeting John in heaven one day and rejoicing in his obedience to God all through a long life of serving so faithfully, listening to God, and how his life impacted ours. But here he is writing Second John. And who is he writing to? He's writing to the chosen lady and her children. Now, who in the world is that? Didn't say first lady. Said chosen lady. It's a bit of a mystery as to who this lady is. Uh, some say it's a church. And the children are the members of the church. That has been a common perception of commentators for the years. I think that perception might be changing a little bit with more recent commentators saying, just accept it for what it is. It's a lady in a church. She's known to John. John has made some trips through that area. He knows her. He's met her kids. They're a wonderful family. And the fact that her husband is not mentioned might mean that she was a widow or maybe she just doesn't, he just isn't mentioned. I prefer that approach. The letter is written to a mom and her children. I don't see this as code for a church. Because later when John writes to the churches in the book of Revelation, he doesn't code these churches. He spells them out. He names them. These are the seven churches. In any case, she was responsible for providing hospitality in the home. Since John addressed her children... Uh, some of them may have still been living at home with her, probably so. It was such a different world back then. And what makes this letter meaningful is for us to kind of catch the context. During the first century, churches met in homes. They didn't have a building like this. Uh, but they did serve brunch or supper. Uh, and food was a very big part of their gathering. They were very hospitable. So when we do brunch, this is, this is not new. This is what the New Testament actually thrived on. Hospitality. 
sitting down together and eating together. We all know that we've kind of lost our touch of hospitality in the 21st century. We've gotten ourselves busy. And instead of having just a couple of extracurricular activities, we've got about 20 of them on our agenda. And something gets left behind in all of this, much to the impoverishment of us all. And that is that important thing called hospitality. I am so glad for the hospitality that we can experience around these tables. But have you noticed this? That even there you have to work at it a little bit? I mean, it just seems like it unfolds, and yet you have to be intentional to meet someone new. Uh, Or you will resort to finding a familiar face, which which is good, too, to reconnect. but maybe if, you're, if seating allows today, and this is sometimes our challenge, if seating allows for it this Sunday, say, I'm going to try to meet somebody that I've never met before. <clears throat> and if you're new in the last number of weeks, well, then that will not be a problem at all. By the way, Second uh, John doesn't introduce us to any new material theologically. Everything John wanted to say, he covered in First John. But what Second John does is simply illustrate how deeply John felt about what he's writing. All of a sudden, there's a specific example. And because John loves the church so much, he just has to take pen to hand. And he wants to protect this young church. And remember when we say local church, it looks quite different than many of us know today. It's not a well-oiled professional operation. No, uh, these were house churches. There were no frills. There were no bells and whistles. There were no amazing programs that were offered. No, just a few families called Christians who met here and there and over there. We might call them our home groups. Uh, They were probably called house groups. They were probably a little larger than our home groups. But they were just a scattering of little house churches all over Asia Minor. And they didn't have a Bible, leather-bound. Certainly no electronic version with Google to check to see if the speaker got some of the facts absolutely right. Well, you say, how did they listen to God then if they didn't have a Bible? How did God speak to them? Well, there were itinerant teachers who traveled from church to church. Maybe like John Wesley back in the 18th century. He traveled on horseback or in carriage and he logged thousands of miles visiting place after place, church after church, and preaching in open-air gatherings. In the first century, there were also traveling teachers. In fact, many of them were traveling prophets. They had the gift of prophecy. So even though they didn't have the written word, God spoke through these men that traveled ex-cathedra with authority. God gave them a revelation concerning the new covenant. And as a result of that, the church was built up. The church was encouraged. And they spoke the words of God to these congregations. And they taught them and guided them because they didn't have pastors who stayed for a long time uh, in a church and encouraged and taught the church. And so it was the role of many women to provide hospitality for these traveling teachers. 
and they would carve out a space in their small house for a teacher to come and stay, and they provided for them. And there were some rules back in there that a, a traveling teacher couldn't stay more than two or three days, and then he had to move on just in case he might take advantage of free lodging. So uh, there it was. And there were no Motel 6s and Holiday Inns. And the inns that were available didn't have a very good rating. They weren't five stars or even three, maybe not even one. Because whatever inn that did exist were associated with houses of ill repute. And John Stott infers in his writing that they were probably infested with fleas. But I have a feeling that that's not all they were infested with. So why did John write this one-pager? He wrote it to this lady, to this mom, who had a big heart, who had the gift of hospitality, who loved to make space in her home for traveling teachers. And sometimes she got it wrong. She allowed false teachers to come and dwell in her home and used her home as a base from which to spread heretical teaching. And John warned her not to house false teachers. So 2 John is about balance. And even before John spells it out as to what he's writing about, he's already hinting here in verse 4. Funny, once you have something in your mind about what you're going to say, it starts coming out before you actually even get to it. Grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. That's where the balance is going to come in, truth and love. This is actually a letter about discernment. How do you discern the situation to know how to keep the balance between truth and love? So catching the context. Secondly, catching the balance. We're at verse 4. These are words from John to this dear lady. How happy uh, I was to meet some of your children... And find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another, just as you've heard from the beginning. Now, it piques my uh, curiosity that there's, first of all, a note of joy expressed from the heart of John. He's saying, how happy I was to meet up with some of your children and find them living according to the truth. Now, I'm assuming that some of them have grown up. They've left home. uh, And somewhere along the way, John ran into them and renewed acquaintances. And it blessed his heart when he found out that they were walking faithfully with God. In fact, they were walking in the truth. They had not swayed away or strayed away or been influenced by false teachers, but they were, they were going on, convinced of who Christ was and enjoying their relationship with Him. Now, isn't that a good word? Isn't that a joy when you see your kids making good choices? Isn't that a joy when your kids leave home or move to another part of the province or another part of the country or maybe another part of the world. And someone who has met them along the way says, Hey, you saw Joe the other day. Wow, 
What a blessing he is. What a blessing he is. Hey, your kids are turning out just fine. You, you know, you can't help but wiggle your toes in your shoes and say, only by the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Man, we blew it so often if you only knew. I'm, I'm glad they made it through. And friends, never give up. Even if your children are taking the long way back home. Keep loving on them. They're learning lots along the way. God's at work in their lives along the way. Never forget that the Spirit of God is, is in their journey too. And as you pray for them, just trust God to speak into their hearts. Now, a good majority of, of us here this morning are young families. Oh, you're in a wonderful position. You've got blank tablets to draw upon. You have the opportunity to model truth and love. And your kids can watch you and learn from you. Just invest in those wonderful kids as much as you possibly can. You won't see all the results right away. It will be a a lot more sowing into their lives these days than harvesting. But you'll see the return later. There's lots of cultivating, lots of sowing seeds, lots of them helping them to pull out the, the weeds and love and truth in balance. And what could be more important for a parent than to bring your best every day to those who are most precious to you? Hey, you have lots of road in front of you. Still time to invest. Still time to come alongside of your kids and bless them and mentor them. And I want to add this. It brings such joy as your pastor to see you walk with the Lord. I get this, what John is saying in verse 4. I get this. How awesome it is to see people stepping up to walk with God. How awesome it is to see your vibrancy. I love the vibrancy of this church. I love your vision. I love your desire. I love your heart to make a difference. So I get what John was feeling when he saw the children of this mom walking in love and truth. And and you'll notice underneath all of this is a call to walk in truth, a call to walk in truth, and a call to walk in love. What a challenge that is. We sometimes get confused with the meaning of love. We interpret love to be a feeling. Certainly at times it is a feeling. But actions is, is a much better way to measure love. John says he has commanded us to love one another. What does that look like? Well, maybe John has in mind those who are stirring up problems within the church. And when someone is trying to undo the work that you're seeking to, to do for God, one part of you wants to retaliate. But we have choices. When people are rude to us, we can be kind in return. When people persecute us, we can pray for them. And when the opportunity comes, we can do good to them. You can take the high road or you can take the the low road. And when you take the high road, that's love. Now perhaps what John is really saying to this chosen lady is a call for her to examine her love. It's commendable for sure that she's a loving woman with a gift for hospitality, but I expect what John is having her evaluate is that 
as love flows out of her life, is she being discerning? Is she being discerning about her love? And now his friend, the chosen lady, who was a true follower of Christ, was perhaps not being wise in her love. She was unintentionally making the situation worse by entertaining false itinerant teachers. And John is saying, Dear lady, I ask you to take a close look at your love as it flows in an undiscerning way towards others. Love must not be blind. You have to be discerning of what God is doing. Love means doing what God has commanded us to do. Did you ever have a grid when you were dating? If you can remember that far back for some of us. Who would, who would be your forever husband or wife? Some of you here uh, are, are right at that season of your life when you're thinking about a future partner. Have you got a little criteria stashed away in your mind or maybe in your wallet of, of uh, who you're looking for? You know, some people actually make a little list. These are the non-negotiables, a, a grid, a set of criteria. They actually write it down. What's important for me in dating and seeking my partner for life? Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I mean, you are discerning. Not every person that comes along, not every person that you meet is, is even a consideration for potential mate material. Oh, no, we have a standard. We have a bar. And there's no compromising on that list. Well, that's a wise thing to do. To say, well, my love will be given to just anybody is to be blind with our love. It means that we're not discerning. Love has to have some banks so the river can flow along and not be like the Red River in spring and just flood everything in sight. And discernment and truth are those banks. They hold the river of love in check. Have you ever made a, a decision on the basis of, oh, we just need to love everybody? And let's not, not examine how this thing is going to work out. Just be loving. Years ago, not here, someone said to me, I would like to serve on a leadership team. And it was the primary leadership team of the church. They looked like they could handle the role. And because I was not discerning, I just said, oh, sure, I, I think that'd be great. I will recommend you. The first clue is when someone wants to be in a position of authority, perhaps to be recognized. I was loving, but not discerning. I learned a lesson because my journey for the next few years was filled with a lot of turbulence. Love must not be blind and I think that is the message of John. Love must not be blind. Catch the context, catch the balance, and then catch the warning. Follow with me in verse 7. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a believer is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
This is the reason why John is so concerned to write this letter to the chosen lady. There are people circulating in the churches with wrong intentions. They might come to your door with a smile. They might know all the right things to gain entry into your home and into your heart. But when you do the math, they're not on the same page. And John's heart was breaking. Can you just put yourself back into his shoes? His heart was breaking. He had invested so much in these churches. He had shared the message of Jesus. He had taught and taught and taught and made disciples. And yet some of their flock were being misled by those who denied that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that. They, they didn't think Jesus had a real body. It was spiritual. It wasn't a physical body. Jesus come in the flesh, the Son of God. They were called Gnostics. And we learned in 1 John that this was a complex, false teaching that was sapping the life out of the early church. No wonder Grandpa John was concerned to not allow them to gain any more inroads into these young house churches. He calls them deceivers and antichrists. They're against Christ. And we have to be mindful of them. And there are people around us who are deceivers. They may smile and they may look like they're very tolerant to Jesus Christ and, in fact, say all the right things. But underneath, they are anti-Christ. You see what John is doing? He's saying, pay attention to the truth. We have to stay on the main highway of love. But love has a ditch or a bank on the, on the one side called truth and on the other side called discernment or wisdom. We don't lose all sense of commitment to the truth when we love people. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Yes, and we have to be careful with the truth. And absolutely correct. I mean, we can be legalistic with the truth. I have a little bit of that in my background. And I've seen it in operation. We can be mean with the truth. I've met people, and you have too, who have been overzealous with the truth. They not only carry the truth with them, but they love to ram the truth and push the truth and get the truth in your face. And honestly, it repels me. I want to say, back off, because I'm missing the love. See, that's the extreme. The other extreme is love, 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 love. And it just oozes out. But it's not discerning. And anything goes. Balance. Isn't that a good word? Kyra Hammer is uh, teaching uh, class in our Roots class every Sunday night and again tonight on world religions. And I guess if I could name anything that I appreciate but what Kyra is saying, it's Balance. It's balance. If we understand the context of what people have gone through in history, we might have a better understanding of how to have conversations with those of different backgrounds. If we understood a little bit about what they've been through. Avoid extremism. Be balanced in the message is the message from John. And John's major criteria for truth is what you think of Jesus Christ. Remember, 
John lived with Jesus for three years. He knew him so well. He saw the miracles. He was convinced of the, from, to the deepest fiber of his being that he was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. He had no doubt about that. And he knew how critical it was for, for his people to be connected to the real Son of God, the true Jesus. <sighs> Aren't those Paralympics something these days? Have you been watching it all? I catch little bits of it here and there. How about those blind skiers? Kelly Gallagher, a young woman skier from Britain, got a gold medal last week. She has, has a sighted guide who is out there with her, and they have, have a headset. It's amazing, a Bluetooth connection. And down the hill they go at 60 miles an hour, and Kelly can't see anything at the snow level. She can't see anything. The only, the only thing she can tell is how fast she's moving with the force of the wind in her face. It's incredible. And she stays very closely connected to her guide. And her guide is talking her down all the way, this way, this way, this way, this way. And they are connected. And then how about Wednesday of this past week? Brian McKeever of Canmore won a gold medal at Sochi. He skied, he skied one, of the, one of the great races in Paralympic history on Wednesday, overcoming an, an early fall to win gold in the men's visually impaired one-kilometer race in Sochi. <clears throat> and his guide waited for him after his fall. It's kind of like, oh, we're out of this. But he's waiting, he's waiting, and he's up, and he's on his feet, and they put the pedal to the metal, and they won the gold. And, but Brian got the gold because he was connected to his guide. And that's what John didn't want his people to lose. He didn't want them to lose that connection with Jesus, their guide, the true, authentic Jesus. Verse 8 says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to, to attain, to achieve. One pastor said, Pastor who pastors a very large congregation, if I, I took my eyes off this work, for 24 hours and stopped praying it would be invaded before we knew it. I think he meant his larger leadership team as well. It was an interesting comment to read that. And the message that I take from it is to ensure leadership and congregation keeps heads up. Mark Twain once said, a, a lie runs around the world while truth is putting on her shoes. Wow. The speed of a lie is lightning fast. Human nature loves a, a little juicy story. But as Mark Twain says, a lie runs around the world while truth is putting on her shoes. What a good reminder. John says, don't lose what you've worked so hard to achieve. Makes me want to say to you again, my dear friends, please continue to pray for this church. Pray for servant hearts for leadership. Pray for protection against false teaching. Pray that any who would seek to bring division would be met with truth in love. Now look at verse 10 as we wrap this up. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. And I had this picture in my mind of the days in which we were building this church or we were watching it be, being built. And just imagine the day crew coming in and working hard all day long 
uh, just like they're doing next door. If you've noticed, the roof has just gone on next door. They're working hard all day long. And then imagine the night crew that comes in from somewhere else, totally unconnected to the day crew, and starts disassembling everything that had been accomplished during the day. And if you're wearing a white hat and you're the super of the job, you're pretty upset about what happened the night before because that crew is working against you. And John is the super, he, and he's very upset with those who are working against the work of God, working against the person of Jesus Christ. He truly is the apostle of love. He loves, but his love stays within the banks of truth and discernment. He's very realistic. He says, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. And I'll just close with saying, but I know your door gets knocked on like our door gets knocked on. And the people who greet me at the door are exceptionally nice. They're well-polished in their presentation. Do I invite them in and say, ah, let's talk. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let, let me just understand what you're thinking. Let's get on the same page here. We're probably all going the same direction. No. I'm kind to them. But my love is within the banks. I don't take their material. And I have a little grid. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh? And we'll wiggle around what that really means for a while. And secondly, do you believe that Jesus Christ in the shedding of his blood on the cross brought forgiveness and eternal life to your life through your commitment to what he's done? Those are the, that's the grid. Pretty strong words in verse 10. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Don't give the pulpit over. Don't give your home group over to those who are not going to speak the truth. Don't encourage false teachers. And uh, then in verse 12, it says... Uh, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it. And I totally agree with John. <laughs> I have much more to say, but I will leave it for now. And I am grateful for the opportunity we've had to look at Second John. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we thank you for who you are. We know that in you we live and move and have our being. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. You died on our behalf. And you are the Messiah, the authentic one. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We stand with you, and we are grateful that you love us. In Jesus' name.